the 40th Psalm. The 40th division of the Psalm is our text today, verses 1 through 3. Under the title of What Happened to Your Song, Psalm 41 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust the Lord. You may have um, heard the song that disc jockeys played around the country a few years ago. The words and music were written by an entertainer named Melanie Safka. The storyline uh, asserts that she lost her song her ability to live and love and enjoy life. Who is there among us who cannot identify with these lines? Look what they've done to my song, Ma. Look what they've done to my song. It's the only thing that I could do all right, and it's turning out all wrong, Ma. Look what they've done to my song. To spend a little time in the Bible is to learn that God's Word is constantly telling people what they can do when the music of life goes sour, because it often does. There are many people that have lost their song. The melody and the joy has gone. The Bible is a book that tells us how to get, us, get back our song. Have you lost your song? If you have, you probably thought, that could never happen to you. Why, some people may get sour on life, but not me. It'll never happen to me, but it does. So that all around us are people, are lives that are out of harmony. People playing and singing in the minor keys. And that's such a surprise because living is the one thing we thought we could do right. I'll be the composer and the conductor and the instrumentalist. I can live, I know how to live. It's the one thing that I can do right. And then one day we discover that it's all turning out wrong. And so in our despair we cry the word of that entertainer, look what they've done to my song, Ma. Look what they've done to my song. The psalmist of the Old Testament was a man who loved life and he loved music. And he wrote a song that deals with the same problem of Melanie Safka. One day the music of his life turned sour. He testifies, I was in the pit. I had to look up just to see the bottom. And then God came down and put a new song in my mouth, a better one. I want you to hang these thoughts on these ideas. First, for even the very best of us, sometimes 
the music of life goes sour. Life has a way of squeezing out the song. And circumstances and providence of life have a way of robbing life of its melody. What happens to cause that? Why do we lose our song? It's certainly, it's not, certainly not because we intended to do it. Nobody ever really sits down and intends to live a miserable life. As a matter of fact, we plan to do exactly the opposite. We dream of happiness and we scheme of success and we chart our course to include fulfillment and satisfaction in living, but it doesn't always turn out like we planned. Why is it that oftentimes we miss what we so desperately desire? Could it be that we have been given some false roadmaps to get there? The German soldiers fleeing from the Americans changed all the road signs, and so our troops traipsed off and traipsed off in all sorts of directions until they learned they couldn't trust the signs. We have an enemy that changed the road signs, and we can't always trust our directions. In Proverbs 14, 13, God warns that there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. The prodigal never intended to go to the pig pen. He wanted pleasure and, and happiness and, and adventure. He wanted the good life, and he intended to get it. But the road he chose, even though it looked so good and so right, led him to a different place altogether. And there are a lot of ways that the enemy has tricked us. He says to young people, do some dope, get some kicks out of life. And then one day when the kicks start kicking back, one realizes that he's not just doing dope, he is one. And a man takes a drink, and then one day the drink takes a man. And one man gets wrapped up in money until one day the money controls him and the beat goes on. And there are a lot of roads that lead into the pit of despair, and none of them is truthfully marked. What happens when a person loses his song? Well, sometimes when that happens, people get negative. When the music turns sour, the people turn sour. I don't think we really realize sometimes how negative we have become, how pessimistic we have become, how critical. Have you listened to yourself lately? Have you listened to how negative you've become toward life, how critical of others, how you've begun to condemn, how you can only find fault. Have you listened to yourself lately? I'm not a television watcher, and I certainly don't get up on Saturday morning and watch cartoons. But my daughter does. And while I was eating my breakfast the other morning, I got to noticing this cartoon show she was watching. It's kind of a new one. I'd never seen it before. That kind of gives myself away right there. It's the Smurf family. They're, there's a family of little dwarfs, you know, and, and there's a guy in this Smurf family that represents the negative side of everything so that everything 
that happens, he sees the negative side of it, and he brings this commentary that begins with these words every time, I hate. And they were looking for hammers, and he says, I hate hammers. And they were playing in the sunshine, and he says, I hate sunshine. And they were in a storm, and he said, I hate rain. I'm idiotic everything. And I'm sitting there eating my waffles, and I'm thinking, you know, that guy's got ten folks in Oklahoma. <laughs> There's something wrong with your song if all you can find in life is the bad. There's something wrong with your song if all you can find in others is the worst. There's something wrong with your song if you live in the gloom of in inevitable doom. And when they lose their song, some just kind of resign themselves to it. Well, this is the way life is, and it'll be no different. I might as well get, it, get ready and brace for the worst. Shakespeare verbalized it. He said, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury. Clarence Darrell was a man who lived a songless life. And he said one time, life is an unpleasant interruption of nothingness. And the Beatles sang about a real nowhere man living in a nowhere land, making nowhere plans for nobody. And all of these are statements of people who are living songless lives and are resigned to it. And I guess that for the very, very best of us, sooner or later, the songs of life turn sour. But it really doesn't have to be that way. I tell you, God's people can sing songs in the worst circumstance. The 137th Psalm is there in your book. Let me tell you what it says. Judah's most noble people have been carried away into captivity in Babylon. 10,000 of them have been deported, and these finest citizens one day wake up to discover that they're exiled in a land where there is nothing but contempt for God. And one day, the, one of these exiles come back, comes back home, and he tells of his experience in Babylon in some of the saddest words in the Bible. He said, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and hung our harps on the willow trees and wept when we remembered Zion. For there our captives required of us a song, and our tormentors sang, Mirth, how shall we sing the Lord's song in the strange land? The psalmist was intimidated by a hostile life situation. But a hostile life situation doesn't necessarily have to rob you of your song. For God's people can sing in any circumstance. If Jesus could sing a hymn with his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest, and if Paul and Silas could sing a song at midnight in the jail in Philippi, and if martyrs could sing on their final march to death, and if Lincoln could write, Now thank we all our God, under the dark night of the Thirty Years' War. And if slaves could sing those marvelous spirituals under the lash of their servitude, God's people can sing in any circumstance, be it hostile or no. Life situations doesn't, doesn't have to 
rob you of your song. For this is the great discovery that we can make in life, that the sore and difficult things, instead of impoverishing, positively enrich, that the hard self-denials we've had to make that the frustrations our hopes have had to endure adds to life a marvelous quality that was never there before, a deeper tone, a finer touch, a nobler music. Have you heard that fable about the German baron who built his castle on the Rhine and from crag to crag and turret to turret he stretched wires to make a great harp, hoping that as the winds blew upon those wires, they would make sweet music. Long and patiently he waited, and around the castle the winds from the four corners of heaven blew upon those wires, but no music came. Then came a hurricane one night that stirred the Rhine to fury. The black sky was stabbed by lightning, the earth trembled and the thunder rolled, and the wind screamed in their contempt. And the baron went to the door of his palace to see this terrifying scene, when all of a sudden he heard it, music, music like an angel singing through the storm. Then he realized it was the storm that had given that heart its music. It was the fury that had given that heart its soul. And at the heart of that deep, that oft-told fable or parable is the deep truth that the nightingale often sings her sweetest song at midnight and life's most severe blows often create the sweetest sound. Russell Newport's going to be singing over in Fort Worth this next week. Some of you have seen him on television. Russell Newport brother is a professor at Southwestern, probably more famous than Russell. He was a music director in Florida for 15 to 20 years. His, he and his wife prayed for a child. No child came. He was a beautiful singer. He, he had a magnificent voice. For those 15 years, he prayed for a child. And then a child was born. Why, they were so excited, so happy. The child was a severe mongoloid that required the 24-hour attention and devotion of Russell Newport and his wife. What a tragedy. But those who heard him sing after that child was born have said that there's a different kind of tone to his song. There's a different kind of melody that he sang. There's a different kind of quality to his voice, for in the midst of his sorrow, God deepens his song. That leads me to the, to the third point of this psalm. That's this. That when there is music, God is the source of that music. The psalmist said, I waited patiently. The word in the Hebrew is intently. I waited intently for the Lord. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to wait upon God, especially when the storms are brewing. It's not easy to wait patiently upon God 
when trouble comes, I waited patiently on the Lord. That's difficult. Christian faith is easier to work for than it is to wait for. I waited until God could help me. Why did he wait until God could help him? Because God was the only one who could. I want you to believe this this morning, that when you get in the pit of despair, God's the only one who can bring you out. And when life robs you of your song, he's the only one who can give you another one because he's the source of music. I waited patiently upon the Lord. And I want to tell you that no one who ever waits upon God will ever be stood up. And sometimes we have to wait a long time because we have to wait and wait forever for that which we want desperately sometimes. And the psalmist said that he inclined to me, that is, he reached way down into the pit and he offered the psalmist his hand. He does that, doesn't he? From sinking sand he lifted me with tender hands. He lifted me from shades of night to plains of light. Oh, praise his name. He lifted me. He reached way down into the pit and offered me his hand. The psalmist said he gave me a rock on which to stand. Everybody is desperately looking for a rock to stand upon, something that has some footing and some security. And so he lifts us up and gives us a firm footing of right standing with God. But most of all, he puts in our mouth a new song. I want to say two things about that song. It's first new. For your experience of grace has to be as, has to be as current as his mercy. Has God done anything in your life lately that is worthy of praise? Most of the time, when we stand to give our testimony of God's work in our life, it's usually something that happened a long time ago. Has he given you a new song? And it's, the second thing about that song is that it's in his mouth. It's not just in his heart. It's in his mouth. It's on his lips. It's on his tongue. It's something he has to tell. The psalmist is so ecstatic that God has lifted him out of the mire and placed him in the choir, gave him a new song. I went upstairs last week and I put on the record of that praise gathering by the Gaithers that we love so much, hallelujah. And I listened again to that song that's on the end of the first part of that, at the end of the first part of that praise gathering. You ask me why I keep on singing. Why I can sing when things go wrong? Well, since I found the source of music, I keep on singing. God gave the song. Come walk with me through fields and forests. We'll climb the hill, hills, and hear that song. For even hills resound with music. They just can't help it. God gave the song. What's that I hear? It's that sound of music. Day after day, that song goes on. For once you hear, once you know the source of music, you will always hear it. God gives the song. He's the source of music. 
There's one other idea in this text that I need to tell you about, and then we're through. That is this. That when God's people sing God's song, the unbelieving world will fear and trust. The psalmist said, when he lifted me out of the pit and he put a new song in my mouth, he said, then others will fear and trust. And so Paul and Silas were in that Philippian jail, and at midnight they sang praises to God. And the scripture said, and the souls and the and the other prisoners listened to them. Don't miss that statement. And the other prisoners listened to them. And at midnight there came an earthquake, and the walls came down, and the bars opened, and the Philippian jailer came in. Look with fear and trembling and said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And I want you to know that the thing that brought the fear and trembling more than the quaking of the earth was that midnight song, if, if David was correct. For when the world hears God's people singing God's song, the world fears and trusts. Arnold Prater tells about this story, and then I'm through. About a friend of his who was pastor up in a little church in Arkansas, Methodist Church. And he said every year at Easter time, it just became a tradition at Easter that Gloria, one of the young ladies in the church, would sing that song. I know that my Redeemer liveth. He said when the crowd was out there in the audience kind of buzzing like we do on Sunday morning before worship, he'd set from the transept and move toward the center of the, of the chancel, singing, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because he lives, I too shall live also. In that beautiful, compulsive voice, he said that, Gloria's, Gloria was the widowed mother of a little seven-year-old boy named Jimmy. Jimmy had rheumatic fever when he was very small and left with a scarred heart enlarged. And one day preparation was made for open-heart surgery, hopeful that Jimmy would be well like other little boys that could run and play. And Gloria was getting ready for that surgery the next day. The pastor in another city in the, in, in the small town was getting ready the next morning to go to the big city hospital where the surgery was to be performed. When at midnight, when at midnight, the word came to the pastor that Jimmy's heart had just given out and he died. He hurriedly dressed and got in his car and he drove to the nearby city to the children's hospital, into the elevator, sixth floor. He was going to room 614. He said, when the elevator arrived on the sixth floor and the doors opened and stepped out, he said, I think something's going on. He said, there was a hush in the hall, orderly, nurses, doctors, were standing at the nurse's station in mute silence. 
He said, I walked past him. Nobody said a word. I started to open the door to room 614, and I heard a sound. He said it was a sound of sobbing. It was a song. And he said, as I pushed open the door, I heard him sing, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And because he lives, I too shall live also. And she was folding up the pajamas, and she was putting in the coloring books and the comic books in the suitcase. And Arnold Crater said, I went over and stood beside her, and I picked up the song. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because he lives, I too shall live also. He said, when we got the bags packed, everything put away, we started down the hall, past the hushed interns and nurses, to the elevator, singing, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because he lives, I too shall live also. Down to the first floor, outside, I hailed a taxi, put her in the taxi, sent her out into the night into the midnight with a song of God in her mouth. And as I drove away, I remembered those people up on the sixth floor in hushed silence, in fear, and in trust. Have you lost your song? The scripture says that when the bird offering began, the song of the Lord began also. You know what the bird offering was? It was the offering that symbolized total dedication. It was the offering that symbolized total commitment. I want to tell you that when you surrender your life totally to God, totally to the will of God, when you take your hands from your life and offer it to God as a burnt offering on his sacrifice, the song of the Lord will begin. Have you lost the song? Here is the place to get it back. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, so often the circumstances that come in life take away our joy. We're so envious when we see other people at midnight singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving. We're so bitter, so sad. Lord, we lost our song. We, we want, Father, what the psalmist meant when he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And I pray, God, this morning, that each person hearing this voice hearing your word will know the source 
of the song, singing hymns of praise and thanksgiving. We're so bitter, so sad. Lord, we lost our son. We, we want, Father, what the psalmist meant when he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And I pray, God, this morning, that each person hearing this voice hearing your word we'll know the source of the song we'll find the song we'll rediscover the joy here at your altar I pray in Jesus name now before you raise your head and before you stand to your feet this invitation is a plea for those of us for whom the songs of life are gone. Would you like us to come to know the source of music, the joy, the fulfillment of happiness, praise? You'll put a new song in your mouth. If you lay